Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. We are in our series called The Fullness of Life. From John chapter 10, verse 10, you know it well by now. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Not just a little bit of life, not just a mediocre life, but a full life, an abundant life that is fruitful and victorious. The life that God intends for each and every one of us. And so, so far we've looked at several key elements of this kind of life, which include abiding in Christ. The foundation of it all is that He is the vine and we are the branches. We have to be connected with Jesus the vine to experience the abundant life that He intends for us, which results in the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and then the warfare of the Spirit because we understand that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual battle that is being waged all around us, and it is God's intent that we be victorious. And so we spent some time in the armor of God, and most recently we are talking about the community of the Spirit. For the truth of the matter is, the full or abundant life is lived in biblical community. It's part of God's genius and wisdom of the church. And if you're detached, disconnected from biblical community, you're going to miss out on the full and abundant life that God intends for you. And so the key phrase to our, this part of the series is one another. One another. From the Greek, alelon, used a hundred times in 94 New Testament verses, which ought to get our attention It ought to tell us, hey, this is really, really important. This matters to God, and it ought to matter to us as well. And for this reason, one of the marks of a true disciple of Jesus Christ is that they are, letter C, communal. They are intentional about living in biblical community and fulfilling these one another's in Scripture. So, so far we've covered members one of another, welcome one another, admonish one another, love and honor one another, and last week, comfort one another. Now, here's the plan going forward. Everybody likes to know where we're headed. Where we're headed is we're going to finish the one another's next week, and that also signals the fact that we are going to finish the series in the fullness of life. And then on October 30th, we're going to do a really quick-hitting but powerful four-week series in the book of Ruth. And if you enjoyed Jonah, I think you're really going to enjoy Ruth. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about Ruth is it really kind of sets the stage for Advent. There's so much in Ruth in terms of the genealogy of Christ and the concept of a kinsman redeemer. And there's so much in Ruth that kind of helps us understand even more the rich significance of Jesus coming to earth. And so um, as we get in today's sermon, I need to give you this warning, a disclaimer, and it is this. Today's sermon comes with a trigger warning. You hear that phrase kind of used a lot in our culture these days? Sometimes that's a really good thing. It's helpful. Sometimes it's a little overused and overdone. But however, what is a trigger warning? In mental health terms, a trigger refers to something that affects your emotional state, often significantly by causing extreme overwhelm or distress. So don't you feel good today that today's sermon is going to cause you extreme overwhelm and distress? Um, These triggers 
are likely due to some form of past trauma. For example, a a soldier returning from combat might be triggered by a loud noise, like a car backfiring, and that's certainly one very sad and tragic example of a trigger. A trigger causes us to to recoil, to, to flinch, or to maybe even run in the opposite direction because of that past trauma. And so with that trigger warning in mind, here's the one another command from Scripture that we're going to look at today. You ready? Brace yourself. The one another that we'll be discussing today is submit to one another. Submit to one another. And some of you have already kind of done the, I'm not so sure about that. I don't like that. Submit to one another. Thus the trigger warning. Submit is perhaps one of the most hated words in the English language. It's a scary word. Carries with it a lot, lot, lot of baggage. Question is why? Why is the idea of submission a potential trigger for many of us? Why does it cause us to flinch, to recoil, to run in the opposite direction? I think there are at least two reasons. First reason is this, is fear. Is fear. Sadly, tragically, we have many, many examples of the abuse of power. We see it almost every day on the news. Someone somewhere is being abusive Abusive, especially in positions of authority and of power. And the harm that comes from that. Um, Wives abused by husbands, children abused by parents, teachers, coaches, employees abused by employers, men abused by women, um, women abused by men. And the list goes on. But more importantly, and tragically, it's not just that the list goes on, but the pain goes on. Wounds inflicted upon us from years ago still hurt today. And so to protect ourselves from those in positions of authority or those in power, it's quite natural for us to respond by rejecting the idea of submission. And let me just say that for any of you who have been victims of such trauma, my heart goes out to you. As a church... We desperately want to be part of God's healing in your life. And what makes that so challenging in these days is we get so many examples of churches sadly being responsible for this kind of hurt in people's lives. I believe that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Lauren Stewart's upcoming ministry, Spirit and Truth Mentoring, I believe that that ministry in particular can be a great help in finding healing from past traumas. And so, why is the idea of submission a potential trigger? Number one, fear, and and for some of us, rightfully so. But number two is our flesh. Our flesh, specifically our fleshly pride, which is so very strong, isn't it? The idea of submission, it strikes right at the heart of our pride. In our flesh, we want the power. We want the authority. We want to be in control. We want the honor. And when it comes down to it, we just want our way. We want what we want when we want it. And ultimately, we want others to submit to us. Which reminds us, it is natural in the flesh to resist submission. It's natural. It's your default. You don't have to try. It's natural in the flesh to resist submission. But here's the thing. 
Such resistance to biblical submission has tragic consequences for community. In fact, it leads to the disintegration of community. It leads to great strife and chaos in community. Listen to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 opens up this way. It says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So why is there so much chaos and turmoil in the world? Because everyone insists on their own way. Clearly, God intends and desires better for us. Better for us as a society, but clearly better for us as His church. And so His prescription is order and harmony that comes with mutual submission empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do we overcome James chapter 4? How do we turn that ship around? It is through mutual submission as prescribed in the scriptures for while it is natural in the flesh to resist submission it is supernatural in the spirit to embrace submission and as we have stated many times throughout the series god has not called us to live naturally he has called us to live supernaturally in his spirit which takes us to the context of our main verse today. Because you see, um, you know, our, our main verse is Ephesians 5.21. It is in the context of Ephesians 5.15-6.9, through 6, 9, which is the Apostle Paul expounding on what life in the Holy Spirit looks like. And one of these key aspects of a Spirit-filled life is that it will be lived in submission. As our key verse says, we are to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And with that introduction, would you please bow your heads with me as we ask for God's help today? Father, this one's hard for me. And I believe that I am representative of, of so many. Um, it does smack right at our pride. And it also conjures up within us those fears of past traumas and hurts. But God, would you please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, overcome those natural tendencies in us today and give us a bigger vision not, for the beauty. This is a beautiful concept. Mutual submission, as outlined in scriptures, is meant to be beautiful. Would you draw that picture for us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we've got a lot to talk about in regard to biblical submission, and it is one of the most challenging, I think, and, and uncomfortable topics in all of Scripture, but it is unequivocally one of the key aspects to a Spirit-filled life. A life that is not lived in biblical submission will not be a full or abundant life, and that's very countercultural because the culture would tell you differently that, hey, to be successful to be full in this life is to be the boss, to be the one in charge, to be the one that gives the orders, to get your way. And God's Word tells us something very differently. So to fully unpack this concept of biblical submission, we are going to look at it defined, illustrated, commanded, and practiced. And so let's get, start, 
with biblical submission defined. That word submit comes from the Greek hupotasso, which is a compound word. Part one of that word is hupo, which means under. Tasso, the the second part of it, means to arrange in an orderly manner. You put it all together, and it means to put under or arrange under. Hupotasso, submit to put under or arrange under. It is, in truth, a military term. Some of you have served in the military. You know all about hupotasso. You know all about lines of authority and all about proper submission. Hupotasso refers to lower-ranking soldiers arranging themselves under the orders of higher officers. And we know that an effective army is going to have clear lines of organization and authority. What happens if you don't have that? Chaos. Disorder. And so biblical submission in the church, I might even say the army of God, is meant to bring harmony and effectiveness to the church's mission. Further, if we go back to the Latin root for our English word submit, it is captured by this image. Recognize that? What is that? It's a yield sign. It's a yield sign. In traffic, it means to let the other person go first. Let the other person go first. To give way. To give way, which is another good illustration to help us what is meant by biblical submission. Instead of insisting on our own way and insisting that we have the place of honor, we yield and we let others have their way. Philippians 2.2 describes it like this. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And if that weren't enough, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And Philippians 2 goes on to describe the humble, submissive spirit of Jesus Christ, his mind. Count others more significant than yourselves. Yield to them. Let them go first and have their way. We encountered the same idea in 1 Corinthians 13. Remember when we went through the love chapter? As we talked about the fruit of the Spirit and what love is all about. In that love chapter, it says that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It yields. It is submissive. And the evidence from Scripture is this. God's design for his people is that they yield to each other. God's design for his people is that they yield to each other. Can you imagine what a home would be like where this has taken place? Where husband submits to wife, wife submits to husband mutually. Hard to have an argument when you're doing that, isn't it? Hard to have conflict when you're doing that. I, I go back to uh, Pastor Travis's uh, sermon from a few weeks ago about uh, outdoing one another in honor, outdoing one another in service. When it's a contest in your home to see who can outserve the other, again, it's hard to have a conflict when that's the mindset of both parties in the marriage. Can you imagine a church? What, what, what would that look like when people are mutually submitting to one another, letting the other go first? Letting the other have the place of honor. When that's the ethos, when that's the culture of a congregation versus, that's not the way I want it. 
I want it this way. It's amazing how, how many churches, even today, they fight about things like paint color, carpet color. I mean, church splits over things like this. And fortunately, um, God willing, th- this church is not that way. I'm so thankful for that. But that, those stories are real. Those stories happen where people insist, especially on things that just don't really have any eternal significance. A family, a church that mutually submits to one another would look so different than the world. And that's the point. That's the point. So, there's biblical submission defined. Let's look at it now illustrated. And interestingly, biblical submission is most clearly seen in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He said of himself in John chapter 4, verse 34, he said, My food... My sustenance, my life is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Not his own will, not his own work, but whose? The Father's. Why? Because Jesus, the Son, was submitted to God, the Father. This was so clearly articulated in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says in Luke 22, 42, He says, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. Jesus had a clear desire here, didn't He? What was it? Father, when push comes to shove, I don't want to experience the, 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 the absorbing of sin and your wrath and the accompanying um, separation that is going to come between me and you. I don't want that, Father. Father, is it possible for this not to happen? But at the end of the day, Father, I'm submitted to your will. I'm submitted to your will. Now, this is an interesting case study for us, especially when we bristle at the idea of submission. Um, is Jesus the Son less than God the Father? No, absolutely not. For Jesus is God Himself. We have this diagram which gives us, makes our heads explode when we think about the Trinity. Here's God, three persons, one in essence, but three in persons. The Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit, is not the Father. However, God is Father. Father is God. Son is God. Holy Spirit is God. And it just, again, makes our heads explode to think about. But the bottom line is this. The Trinity, three persons, one God, one in essence, totally equal. Why? Because it's a tri-unity of one God. And yet... We see time and time again in the Scriptures, as we already have, the Son living in submission to the Father. Right? Check out Psalm 8.6. You, meaning the Father, have given Him, the Son, dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under His feet. So on one hand, all things have been put under the feet of Jesus, but who put them there? The Father. So while Jesus is absolutely equal with the Father in essence and in status, in value, there is still in this relationship biblical submission. 
that ought to tell us some very important things about biblical submission. The first is this. One who submits biblically is not less than another. One who submits biblically is not less than another. When wives submit to husbands, this is not a misogynistic concept that puts women down. It is not because wives are inferior any more than Jesus is inferior to the Father. Do you hear me say that? Contrary to what the world teaches. And here's the problem. The world teaches that value comes from roles. What you do. That's what value is all about. We know better, don't we? We know that our value comes from our essence who we are as human beings created in the very image of God. Both men and women created in the image of God. One in essence. One in value. But, as you go on to read in Ephesians chapter 5, different in roles. Different in roles. It's not about what you do. It is about who you are. That's where our value comes from. And that's why one who submits biblically is not less than another. The second thing it means is that one, one who submits biblically is not weaker than another. One who submits biblically is not weaker than another. It's quite the opposite, actually, is it not? Which takes more strength to overcome our prideful flesh and to serve? Or to just go with the flow and act on our prideful flesh? Which takes more strength? Certainly, overcoming our prideful flesh and serving takes more strength. Remember, it is natural in the flesh to resist submission, but it is supernatural in the spirit to embrace submission. So we see Jesus graphically demonstrating for us biblical submission time and again, and um, certainly in John 13, when he humbled himself and washed his disciples' feet and you all wearing shoes and socks today, and I don't want to have anything to do with your feet even today, right? Think about Jesus in that day and age of roads that aren't paved and livestock going on the roads and people wearing sandals and going barefoot. Jesus, the Son of God, says in John 13, 4, He rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to to wash one another's feet. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now the question is, what's he talking about? What is the them that we will be blessed if we do? Is Jesus talking very literally about washing feet? I think maybe. But I think he has a much broader application in mind. And that broader application, foot washing is representative of us living a life of humble servanthood in which we submit 
to one another. Let me say that again. I think it's important. Foot washing is representative of us living a life of humble servanthood in which we submit to one another. We yield to others. <laughs> what an image. The creator of the universe on his hands and knees, taking in, his, in those hands that created the universe, feet that stink and are covered with mud and animal dung, and he is washing them. You talk about submission and humility and service, yielding to others, not insisting on his own way. Jesus himself become the ultimate illustration of this when he humbled himself and was put to death on the cross. Jesus submitted himself to the Father and he submitted himself to us, serving us in the most sacrificial and meaningful way possible, taking upon himself you know, that, that question he had in Gethsemane, is it possible? The Father said, no, it's necessary. And so Jesus took upon himself all of our sin, all of the consequence, all of the wrath of God, experiencing the separation accompanying that from the Father, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Church, I ask you this question today. Have you believed in Jesus Christ, the one who laid down his life for you so that you could be saved? If you haven't yet crossed that line of faith, turning from your sin and turning to God alone for salvation, I beg of you, would you respond in faith today to that gospel message, that good news that God loves you and that he does have a wonderful plan for your life, but it begins by putting your faith and your trust in him alone for your salvation. It's a crazy world out there. I don't know what's going to happen next. Neither do you. God does. But I know this. We are one day closer today to the return of Jesus than we were yesterday. One week closer than we were last Sunday. One month, one year, one decade. It's coming. Are you ready? Well, the point is this. Whenever we think that biblical submission is too costly for us, may we remember how costly it was for our Savior and Lord. And that we are called, if we are going to bear the name Christian, Christ-like, we are going to follow in his steps. And so that is biblical submission defined, illustrated. Quickly, we go to commanded. Remember, Ephesians 5, 15 through 6, 9 is about what the life in the Holy Spirit looks like. And one of those aspects of a spirit-filled life is submission. And so our key verse, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's talk about that for a minute. What exactly does that mean, out of reverence for Christ? To revere someone or something is to hold it in high esteem. To hold it in high esteem. To acknowledge its greatness. In this case, His greatness. To revere Christ is to acknowledge who He is in His totality. That He is Lord over all. And that He alone is Savior. And if that is true, and if we acknowledge that, it means that He is our authority in all things, and we are to obey His commands. In this case, that includes the command to submit to one another. There were times when Jesus used parables to communicate His commands, to illustrate them. And one such example is Luke 14. 
It says, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Said another way, church, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yield to others. Have that mindset of Christ-like humility that does not insist on its own way. And so that is biblical submission defined, illustrated, commanded. Let's get real practical for the last couple of minutes of Biblical submission practiced. Um, this is not for the faint of heart. I totally get it. There's a reason that this came with the trigger warning, and it's, it's hard. In light of that, let's look at practicing biblical submission, and the first principle is simply this. Know your identity. Know your identity. Specifically, if you're going to do this, you got to know who you are in Christ. You have to be secure in knowing who you are in Christ. Because if your identity, as it does for so many people, comes from earthly status related to what you do and the need to exercise authority over, over others, if that's where your identity comes from, you're not going to be able to do this. You'll find biblical submission very difficult, if not impossible. Because here's the thing, those who struggle most with submission struggle most with their identity. Those who struggle most with submission struggle most with their identity. Again, because their identity is tied in what they do and um, performance and earthly status, we know better. But for people who know that their identity is rooted in Christ... to the one who washed feet, and to the one who submitted himself even to the crucifixion. We read in John 13, 3, I, I, this was the, the verse that led into the foot washing. Listen to this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Well, what's the point? Jesus knew his identity. He knew who he was. And so he didn't have to strive for and reach for earthly status. He knew who he was in relation to the Father, and he was secure in that identity. And so it was no struggle for him then to stoop down and to wash feet. He was able to live the life described in Philippians 2.3, where it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. No problem for Jesus. He knew who he was. He knew his status in relation to the Father. Do you? Because until you do, until you get that, biblical submission is going to be very, very difficult. Second, practicing biblical submission, number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I find it interesting that that's, that's a command in Scripture. We have something to say about being filled with the Holy Spirit. As we've already seen, it's natural in the flesh to resist submission. It is supernatural in the Spirit to embrace submission. If we are going to be able to live supernaturally, it is only by the Holy Spirit, which means that we must be filled with Him. How do we experience this? Very simply. We experience the filling of the Holy Spirit when we make room for Him. We experience the filling of the Holy Spirit when we make room for Him. Because here's, here's the theology behind this. If you're a believer, you already have the Holy Spirit, right? At conversion, God in the person of the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of you. You have all of the Holy Spirit that you're going to have. But, the question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Right? He will absolutely fill us to our capacity. But your capacity is largely up to you. And our problem is that our capacity is hindered by being filled with other things. And when we are filled with other things, there isn't room for the Holy Spirit to fill us as He could, as He should. If we are going to live supernaturally and do such supernatural things as embracing biblical submission, we have to make room for the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us. Lastly, number three, wash feet. Wash feet. And that simply means... Take initiative in looking for practical ways to humble yourselves and serve others. Don't, don't just lay back passively and say, well, if it comes across my path, if there's a lightning bolt, if something crazy, then, then I'll take the initiative in looking for practical ways to humble yourself and serve others. Because Jesus showed us that biblical submission is not theoretical, it is practical. It gets dirty. It involves blood, sweat, tears, dirty feet. So take the initiative in looking for practical ways to humble yourself and serve others. And I guarantee, if in your quiet time, in your prayer time, you were to ask and pray this dangerous prayer, say, God, show me. Guess what? He's going to show you. So to recap, know your identity. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And wash feet. Now I want to close with this very important statement because I'm sure for some of you it's nagging in your minds. And so listen carefully to this. Biblical submission never enables or allows sin. Biblical submission never enables or allows sin. There would be some who would take a teaching like this and use it to manipulate and in that manipulation, perhaps even abuse. That is not biblical submission. That is not what this text is talking about. When that happens, this is no longer biblical. Meaning that there will, in fact, be times when submission is not the right thing to do. Biblical submission is never enables or allows sin. One example from Scripture is when the apostles were on trial in Acts 5.28 um, the authorities said to them in Acts 5.28, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, 
Someone might argue, these, these, these authorities might argue, hey, you all talk about that whole biblical submission thing. You need to submit to us. But that would be sin because we are told that we are to be overtly gospel people who speak the truth and do not shy from proclaiming the truth of God's word. And so Peter and the apostles answer, no, 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 no. Don't try to manipulate us that way. That's not biblical submission. That would be sin. We must obey God rather than men. And so it is with biblical submission. We must obey God rather than men. And there will be times when the right thing to do is to reject submission. Meaning that biblical submission never enables or allows sin. I would love for us to have time for like a Q&A right now. Wouldn't that be fun? Unfortunately, we don't. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for challenging us, growing us, reminding us that this is a supernatural life that we are called to live, a life that looks different than the world, a life that goes beyond our default, beyond our flesh, and rises to the heights of Jesus who himself descended to the very depths. God, make us like Jesus. And God, where we have questions or we don't understand, would you bring clarity? But God, make us gospel people. More than just in theory, but certainly in practice. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.